0: Specialist to find out if it's right for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
2: My home away from home is the woods. Specifically, it's the woods of Mission Tejas State Park, 20, one miles northeast of Crockett, Texas. I work as a park ranger taking church groups and school trips through the forest, showing them the woods I so dearly love. I also show them relics from the local Caddo Indians that used to live there, as well as pioneers who settled a couple of miles away at the Rice House. Back home, I have a wife who is retired, and my best friends. I love my wife and friends, but the park is like that friend you never really talk to. But you get to know and enjoy their company. I am at peace with the local wildlife, which I have known all my life. On breaks, I drive a couple of feet off the trail, find a stump, and sit down. I am at peace in the forest. I love my job and I make damn sure that everyone else will too. My fantastic stories of Caddo hunts and local legends are loved by all. I make sure that everyone at least knows about what happened. One day I'm taking a group of school kids out on a walk. I talk about the deer, the birds, and the pines that seem to stretch up for miles. I'm leading the group up a steep hill when suddenly I become dizzy and short of breath. I think of this as merely the result of my aging body. Then I begin feeling pressure in my chest. A small alarm is ringing in my head, but then I blame the bean-eating competition I had the night before with my wife and friends at the local Mexican restaurant. It is only when my left arm begins to feel as though a thousand volts of electricity had pumped into it that I begin to have concern. I know exactly what is happening, a heart attack. Before I can cry for help, though, I collapse. I come to moments later, dazed and confused. I get up and catch movement out of the corner of my eye. The curious ex-Vietnam vet stumbles, then walks up the hill as if nothing is wrong. At the top of the hill is a group of people dressed like the local Caddo Indians. They seem to have been led by a young woman holding a baby. They seem to be dressed right, but something just doesn't feel right. Who are you? I ask. Nothing. Can anyone answer me? No response. Well, look, it's been a nice conversation we've had here, but I need to get back. Thank you, says the woman. What? I stammer out, dumbfounded. You are the man who has told our story when no one else would. For that, we thank you. From behind the woman, a small army has amassed. Indians, settlers, ranchers, soldiers, anyone who had lived and died on the park's land. Finally regaining my composure, I reply, "'Well, y'all are more than welcome. Now, if you excuse me, I need to do my job.' The cattlewoman gives me a sad smile, saying, "'I'm afraid you can't do that anymore, John. You're going to be here now.' Confused, I turn around. At the bottom of the hill is chaos.' My crumpled body lies still in the cool, moist clay. Meanwhile, some parents are performing CPR on my vacant body, while others try to get help, and still others are trying to comfort the kids. Some of the kids are crying while others are sitting, trying to wrap their young minds over what had just happened. Some of the bigger, more curious ones are trying to poke my body with sticks and fingers, trying to see if I would move and somehow, someway, jump back to life. Everyone has their own ideas on what to do, but panic, then desperation. Then realization set in, one after the other. I am dead, and nothing can be done. I watch all of this from the top of the hill. My spirit's presence, unbeknownst to the others. Rangers swarm onto the scene, put a blanket over my body, place it into the back of a jeep, and drive off. Suddenly Mexican food doesn't taste as good as I remembered it before. Hey, just before I explain the story, I want to clarify a few points. First, this occurred in the United Kingdom. I understand that this is SQ's subreddit, but it really does fit the criteria. And you seem like experts regarding this topic more than anyone. Second, this wasn't a dream or hallucination. Whilst on a late night walk, me and my sister heard or witnessed this. It is corroborated and... On a late walk, perhaps around ten, thirty eleven, me and my sister took a path through a churchyard and through some fields. Approaching an enclave in the next field, however, we heard a scream. It was not like an animal, nor human. The harmony of both high and deep was rattling, like a man screaming, crossed with a dying animal. There was a hedge in our way, obstructing vision. Whatever it was, it lay behind the hedge. We both looked forward and saw the silhouette of a tall, crooked thing. It was on two legs, though its back was hunched forward, its head long and with jagged teeth. We didn't know what it was, nor did we want to. In any case, without speaking to each other, we ran in the opposite direction. Both of us. I am a coward, but my sister is tough as nails. She wouldn't simply run from an animal's cry. And yet, we both ran. Any thoughts about what it was? I had a group of friends who used to get together and play manhunt in a local park at night. Just a different way of saying a big game of hide and seek tag where three people start off it and everyone else goes and hides in the park. As they find and tag people, They become it as well until eventually there is only one, three people left. Then we start again and play into early morning. Well, one night I was it with my friend and his younger brother. We were heading to the middle of the park to a hot spot for hiding places. There is a long stairwell that leads up a huge hill to a pavilion and field. We were slowly walking down those stairs, maybe halfway down when we noticed two folks way below us. Thinking it was one of our friends, we tell out, Hey, who's that? Instead of the normal reaction, which is to call out your name, then sprint away, trying to avoid getting tagged. A strange voice responds to the, Bye for you. We at first started sprinting down at them like we normally would, but then we realized they too were sprinting at us. We don't even hesitate. We turn around and sprint up the stairs as fast as we can, adrenaline kicking it hair sticking up on the back of my neck. We make it up on top of the hill and pause. When I look back and they are right behind us, not more than 10 feet away, which is absurdly fast because of how much distance we had had between us. We lose our shit and start sprinting as fast as possible to the park trail that wraps around the entire park and leads to a road where one of our friends live and that we use as a meetup spot between games. It's a two-mile run back from where we are, so we book it, sprinting as if our lives depended on it, occasionally looking back and seeing the two people following behind. As we get nearer, our energy is spent, but we push on and make it to the street, looking back, and there is no sign of the two strangers. All of our group is back at the house, lounging on the driveway, having decided to prank us that night, and while we were off in the park searching for them, they would meet back at the house until we gave up. We shared our story with them and some laughed in disbelief. Others wanted to search the park for those two randoms, but we never discovered who they were. All I know is that they were incredibly fast and shady as that. When I was younger, I went to a state park with my family There's a fairly large hiking trail up a hill that leads to a cave. Well, me, being a child, I thought they were taking too long, so I took off up the trail into the woods, ended up losing the trail and screaming for help for a good 20 minutes. I fully convinced myself that I could survive for at least two days, build a shelter, and catch some food. I'm glad they found me before I set up camp. Another time, I had just woken up from my first night on a camping trip and decided to walk to the lake. About five minutes into my walk, I looked to my left and see five wild boars about 20 yards from me. That was possibly scarier than the first in incident. Back in 2016, I was in Virginia, and my mom had gone through a pretty messy breakup. At the time, but we made the most of it by doing what we did, like hiking. She introduced me to her friend and her husband and children. Which one was a female, my age cute girl? Off topic. It was a trail in the Blue Ridge, part of the Appalachians. That day we were going to do old rag, but got there too late. During some points we would all be split up, and sometimes I would be way back or way front. With this experience, I was way in front of everyone even the dog. Off topic again. One part of the trip we had stopped and rested at an overlook. Then we went on our way. We were about another, I say, 15 to 30 minutes into it, and I was way ahead. I remembered warnings from San's my mom, her friend, our husband, and another person that there was bears. But what I heard that day wasn't a bear. It walked on two legs, and I was too far in front of everyone for it to be them. Besides, I would uh, heard the dog walking, too, since the cute girl was walking it behind me. I felt the sense of being watched when I heard the leaves crunching. I believe in Bigfoot and the paranormal, and I'm up for suggestions on what it was. It could have been Bigfoot or the rake I'm into, all that folklore. I've got more stories that I want to share. I, I just got to get my internet shell off. My ex-husband may have seen a skinwalker one night. He worked the overnight shift in the big city of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Well, Santa Fe is bigger than the small village we were from that had two-lane roads to travel to get to the main highways. He would leave our house at 10 p.m. to get to work by 11 p.m. One night I got a frantic call from him when he arrived at work. He sounded almost hysterical. He said he was driving down the usual road to get to the highway and came up to what he thought was a cow sitting in the middle of the road like they do sometimes. He slammed his brakes on and honked his horn, annoyed that he was going to be late. He waited a bit and honked again, and the cow stood up, but he realized it was standing up in its hind legs. Then he realized it wasn't a cow. Maybe it was a coyote or wolf. He then saw that it was a naked man as it turned to face him. But the head was of a dog. The creature slammed its hands on the hood of the car and then bound off into the hills in three steeps. He couldn't make out where it went, but my ex said he drove as fast as he possibly could to get out of the area into the well-lit highway. Once he arrived at work twenty minutes later, he called me, nit-making-much-sense. When he calmed down a bit, We both tried to make out what he possibly could have seen. Even years later, we'd talk about it once in a while. Maybe a dog man. Maybe a drunken man wearing a mask. It wasn't until years later we came up with the possibility of a skinwalker. Maybe it was just some distortion of the darkness and headlights during late night driving. Maybe he was hypnotized by the driving, but he still thinks he saw something out of the ordinary. I've been avidly having nightmares of someone being in my small town living trailer for quite some time. I had nothing of it to actually say anything. Until now. A week leading up to this I had a sleep paralysis moment where I've seen someone in my house and a co-worker. Stabilized me because I had a seizure in my dream, I think. Because I was convulsing foam and shit like a regular seizing victim. I remember my ex that used to live in this place by herself, saying she used to have nightmares and dreams of a person breaking in or being here. I never had resentment to that statement because we're Navajos. In the following months, I've been having nightmares of someone in my home. I'm always in a sleep paralysis moment. Until the other night, I see a person's silhouette from both windows and began to panic because it's at both front and back door. I called my parents and grandma, but get no answer. So I called my aunt, and she picked up the phone, questioned whatever was going on, and I explained to her the events. Now at this point, I'm mad because it's causing me stress. So I told her I'm going to go outside and fight it. She told me otherwise and stay inside. A couple weekends ago my boyfriend and I went up to the North Carolina mountains to a cabin. The cabin was close to Silva and Maggie Valley. I don't want to say the exact location because the post might get deleted. The cabin is in the Smoky Mountains. My boyfriend is older than me by quite a bit and he had been going to this cabin for his whole life. He told me a story about a man who knew when he was younger and this was back in the old logging days. The man was named Joe and was very familiar with the woods and was an outdoorsman. One day Joe went in the woods and got lost, which is very unusual for him because he knows the woods like the back of his hands. He became very disoriented and as he was trying to find his way home, a cottonmouth snake came out of nowhere and bit him in the eye. He eventually got out of the woods and returned home. Joe was known to be a very sweet man and would give you the clothes off his back. That kind of person. However, right after the incident, Joe became very mean aggressive. Not like his nature at all. After a little while, Joe just disappeared without a trace. Shortly after this, a couple of the neighbors also disappeared without trace, as well as of the neighbor's livestock. Fast. Forward, my boyfriend, while he was still young, was enjoying a campfire with his friends. In the woods, they heard what he said sounded like someone hitting a tree with a cane. The thuds were very precise and came in series of threes. Example, thud, thud, thud. Silence, thud, thud, thud. They joked around and said it might be Joe. Fast forward to present day, my boyfriend and I are at the cabin. He had told me these stories at the campfire. Maybe he was just trying to scare me and made these up, but I thought it kind of sounded like a wendigo was behind the disappearances. Anyways, one night as we were sitting on the couch, and I heard what sounded like something tapping at one of the windows. The next day in the afternoon, we were sitting on the couch watching TV. We then heard what sounded like something very, very heavy on the roof, except it didn't sound like something walking. It's harder to describe, but it kind of just would make like two knocking sounds stop and then do it again. Later that night, as we were in bed, I couldn't sleep, so I was on my phone. I heard what I thought. I was talking, and I listened harder, and it was actually chickens that I heard. They were making that little warble sound that they do. I thought this was kind of weird, because while they were chickens that came from a neighbor's house the other day when he was grilling, I didn't think chickens were nocturnal. Maybe they are, a few minutes after I stopped hearing the chickens. My boyfriend, who I didn't realize it was awake, started complaining how he couldn't sleep and decided to go to the car to find some Benadryl he left in it. I followed him, and while I didn't go outside with him, I stood on the porch and watched him. There were no chickens outside, and I didn't hear any at all. Maybe this is all just my imagination going crazy, but when I did hear the sounds, I pretended not to. I didn't really want to take chances. Could this have been a wendigo? Was my imagination just running wild? From the stories I heard about Joe and people disappearing and the sounds I heard, I thought maybe it could be. I ventured deep into the heart of the secluded Idaho forest on a solo hunt determined to track down elusive stags that had long eluded my grasp. The dense woods were shrouded in a cloak of shadows, the sunlight struggling to pierce through a thick canopy above. The scent of damp earth and pine needles filled the air, a familiar and comforting presence that grounded me amidst the solitude. As I followed the path deeper into the woods, my senses sharpened, attuned to the rustling leaves and the subtle shifts in the wind. The anticipation of the hunt surged through my veins, mingling with a quiet reverence for the untamed beauty that surrounded me. Each step was deliberate, each sound carefully weighed against the backdrop of nature's symphony, and then, as if emerging from the depths of the forest itself, I saw it, a figure, unlike anything I had encountered before. It stood tall and imposing, walking upright in my direction. My heart quickened, and I instinctively sought cover behind a nearby tree, my breathing shallow as I peered out. I turned to cast a cautious glance in its direction, my pulse pounding in my ears. The creature was closer now, just about ten feet away. Its form was shrouded in darkness, an enigmatic silhouette that defied easy description. Its build was sturdy, slightly shorter than my own, and it moved with an unsettling grace that sent shivers down my spine. I strained my eyes to discern its features, but its neckless head remained obscured, devoid of any visible features that I could make out. It paused by the very tree I was using for cover, its head tilting upward as it sniffed the air, like a predator catching a scent on the breeze. The absence of visible eyes only heightened the eerie sensation that gripped me. Fear rooted me to the spot, my muscles refusing to obey my desperate pleas to flee. I watched, transfixed as the creature's attention shifted away from me, with a casual nonchalance that sent a shiver down my spine. It turned and walked away, fading into the forest like a specter, melting into the shadows. In a surge of both desperation and disbelief, I raised my rifle and aimed it at the retreating figure. The gunshot shattered the silence, the sharp report echoing through the woods, I watched as the bullet streaked toward the creature, impacting its dark form, but to my shock the bullet seemed to bounce off its skin, falling harmlessly to the ground. The creature didn't flinch, didn't react, it was as if its very flesh was impervious to harm. A sense of bewilderment washed over me as the creature disappeared from sight. My thoughts were a jumble of confusion and wonder grappling with the inexplicable encounter that had just unfolded before me. Slowly, I lowered my rifle, my hands trembling as I tried to make sense of what I had witnessed. Hours later, as I returned home to the waiting embrace of my wife, I found myself at a loss for words. Her eyes sparkled with curiosity and warmth, and she asked the question that I had anticipated. Did you hunt anything today? But I remained silent the memory of the enigmatic creature still vivid in my mind. i had ventured into the heart of the forest seeking to conquer nature and claim my prize. Instead, I had come face to face with a mystery beyond my understanding, a reminder that the wild places of the world held secrets far stranger and more wondrous than I could ever have imagined. My story is short and takes place many years ago when I was a kid in the early 1980s living in southeast Missouri. My parents and the neighbors were hanging out, having a few Miller Lights in the neighbor's yard, and we kids were playing. It was shortly after dark when we decided to play tag. For those of us that have actually gone outside to play in the suburbs know that this is a perfect time to play this game. My neighborhood was like most, I guess but my neighborhood was near a creek that ran for miles and passed by several thick stands of trees. So we'd been playing a while. When I ran away from whomever it was, it was it. It was at that moment when I saw something, a huge, almost glowing white shape walking between two trees in the yard in front of me. It looked like a mixture of the Patterson, Gimlin, Bigfoot, and one of those costumed villains from Scooby-Doo It quickly passed behind a tree and was gone. It didn't reappear on the other side. I was so shocked and terrified that I couldn't take my eyes off where it had been. Then I ran straight into another tree, knocking myself silly. After the excitement of me hurting myself was over, I told my brother about it, and he, like everyone else I've told since, thought the same thing, that I had imagined it due to nearly knocking myself out but I know what I saw and that I saw it before I hit the tree, and to this day I can still see it in my mind as clearly as I did that late summer evening. I've gone on to call whatever I saw Bigfoot's ghost. I wanted to report something that happened to my daughter and two of her friends back in 1989. My daughter, Roxanne, had taken a trip with her school friend, Kimberly, and Kim's brother, Keith, down to Ocalá, Florida, to stay at Kim's grandmother's house for the weekend. Kim's grandparents had a home deep in the woods down a long dirt road. We're still trying to figure out approximately where they live since my daughter was only 11 years old when this happened, and kids pay little attention to details at that age. The three of them had taken their bicycles and were riding them down the road in the forest. The road was typical Florida sugar sand, which makes riding not as easy as a hard road. Suddenly, a huge animal walked out of the woods about 40 yards in front of them. They all stopped as the massive creature walked across the road from the animal. According to my daughter, they recognized it immediately as a Bigfoot. It was looking directly at them as it crossed. She said it never expressed any kind of emotion on his face, and showed zero concern about them seeing it. On the other hand, the kids were terrified. She described the creature as being massive and at least seven feet tall, but maybe more. She also said it definitely was not an ape, but the face was human-like and covered with hair. Furthermore, she said it had huge hands. It could have probably covered their whole heads with one hand. She said she did not see any claws, just long fingers. The head appeared slightly domed, and the color she described as being like a sun-bleached brown. Basically brown with reddish highlights, but not orangish like an orangutan. They did not see anything that indicated gender. The face was more flat, as opposed to having a snout or a muzzle like a bear. As soon as the Bigfoot entered the woods on the other side of the road, they turned their bikes around and bolted for the house. They described their escape as terrifying in the soft sand that impeded their speed. She said that as tall and built as the creature was, there would have been no way to outrun it if it had pursued them. As soon as they got to the grandparents' house, they all ran inside, exclaiming that they had just seen a Bigfoot. The grandmother was in the kitchen baking a cake and blew it off, saying they probably saw a monkey, since there were occasional monkey sightings in the area. Some places, like Silver Springs, Florida, not far from Ocala, have large populations of monkeys from the days back when Tarzan movies were filmed there. I recently spoke with my daughter about the experience she insisted that it was not a monkey or a bear, and that the animal just appeared too human like to be an ape of some kind. She said it walked on two legs, just like a human does. She says it bothers her this very day and that she could not rationally explain what the three of them saw that day. But they saw it clearly in the middle of a bright, hot, sunny day. The year was 1990. Desert Storm and Nelson Mandela, being freed from prison. I and three friends, while serving in the British Army, traveled to Brighton, England, for a few days of our after-holiday. The weather was particularly hot that year. We were wasting no time enjoying it. My friend Andy and I decided to go for a walk along Brighton Pier, famous for its amusement arcade and ice cream. Whilst there, we got to speak to two young German girls from Nuremberg, and we hit it off immediately. They spoke broken English, and we tried our best way movie German commandant accents with them. For the next few hours, we all laughed and joked about everything with each other, and the language barrier became less of a distraction as the evening wore on. One girl was a blonde and the other a redhead both beautiful and way out of our league, and yet they liked us and wanted to know more about us, as we were both in the awkward teenage years. Myself and Andy didn't know which girl liked who, and I was just glad to get some attention from the opposite sex. After a while, we all decided to meet again at the same time and place the next day. They left the pier to join friends while we waited for our other two friends to join us. The following evening, filled with nerves and apprehension, I and Andy made our way to the pier. Standing at the entrance were these two beautiful German girls, all dressed up in tight dresses, waiting for us. I couldn't believe my luck. We all walked to the pier and got some food before deciding we should all go to the cinema to see Bird on a Wire starring Mel Gibson. I and Andy looked at each other, knowing that this would be the ideal place to find out which girl liked who. We made our way to the pier exit, but at this point, for the strangest reason ever. He walked ahead of all of us and ran across the large open road in front of us. I called him back, but he continued to run toward the other side. Knowing that he was heading in the wrong direction to the cinema, I apologized to the girls and asked him to stay where they were so I could return my idiotic friend. I ran over to the other side, approximately 20 meters in width, where he was standing at. I grabbed him and said, What are you doing? The cinema is this way. He could not provide any reason or rationale for his behavior. At this point, we both quickly headed back to the other side of the road, but to our amusement, the girls were nowhere to be seen. This is less than 10 to 15 seconds since I spoke to them. Now, if you could picture the scene at Brighton Pier... It's a long, wide-open road that stretches out a long distance and would require some amount of running for the girls to hide, especially running in the dresses that they were wearing. We looked everywhere for the next few hours, searching the pier pretty extensively, but to no avail, and eventually giving up and being annoyed with Andy. The next day at the same time, we came back to the pier to seek out the girls, but they never showed up. The next day, we had to leave to go elsewhere, and never got the chance to speak to those two German girls from Nuremberg. Andy and I lost touch not long after that, but caught up 25 years later. After a few war stories and some alcohol, the topic of Brighton came up. We discussed what happened that night. Maybe after all this time, Andy would have a different view of the story that I had on it. But he didn't, and to this day, he still felt as I did about it spook. We both discussed. Where did they go? And what happened? Why did Andy walk away without reason? How could we not see them run away, if that is what they decided to do? So many more unanswered questions. To this day, I don't know if those two girls from Germany are alive, dead. Head over
1: to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long.
2: Or was it something more paranormal? I'm kind of an avid amateur photographer and one night around 4 a.m. I was out alone in the Firehole basin region of the park. The goal was to take a long exposure photo of a geyser erupting with the Milky Way stretching through the sky overhead. The photo turned out to be pretty much a bust. When geysers erupt, they blow massive amounts of steam into the air, and steam kind of blurs the whole beautiful night sky situation. But anyway, I parked my car and hiked a ways to get close to the geyser I wanted to photograph. Then I set up my tripod, adjusted all the settings, and waited for the eventual eruption. The night was crystal clear, perfectly quiet and very cold. As my ears grew accustomed to the lack of sound, I gradually realized I could hear the gentle burbling of the spring that gives birth to the Firehole River some distance behind me. I could hear wind in the trees and leaves rustling across the ground. In front of me I could hear rumbling and hissing from deep within the earth as the white dome geyser worked itself up for another inevitable eruption. An owl hooted somewhere above me, and I could even hear the distant howls of wolves across the bowl of the midway valley below, as my eyes grew accustomed to the darkness. I could see the milky way stretched like a river of light from horizon to horizon overhead. A million billion stars shined above, brilliant and cold. Orion hung over my right shoulder, and Venus burned just above the horizon so bright it almost hurt to look directly at it. And then behind me, loud and sudden, the pounding footsteps of a giant, clearly coming right at me. Bear? Bigfoot? Some hideous monster born in the hell of a geyser's boiling mouth spewed upon the land to wreak vengeance. I didn't know, but I knew it was coming. And I knew it was close. The buffalo actually brushed against me as he went past. I was frozen in place. Resigned to my fate, a huge bull, a mountain of fur and horns, shambling up out of the darkness, steam billowing from his nostrils in the cold, dry air. It felt like a close encounter with a freight train. He strode past like I didn't exist, seemed to tiptoe gently around my tripod then stopped about ten feet in front of me and took a long, slow, very satisfying, steaming piss on the ground. Then he grunted and went on his way, and I stood there wondering how I was going to take a photo if the geyser blew before my hand stopped shaking. My encounter occurred in Gokonda, Illinois, on June 15, 1991, at approximately 2.30 a.m. That night, I thought i dreamed about several aliens coming into a cabin. I was staying in with my girlfriend. Early the following morning, I woke and described to my girlfriend my strange dream. She went on to tell me that she had the same dream, and that she had been taken to a spacecraft out in the field that was near the cabin. In my dream, I was awoken by three, five alien greys. Their featureless faces were only illuminated by the reflections from their black eyes. I remember sitting up in bed, holding the covers up to my face so that only my eyes were exposed. They came towards me and one seemed to be holding some strange, jewel-encrusted wand. It was gold and had red and green crystals that may have been used to control the device. I think it was this device that was used by the aliens to disrupt my memory of the events. The next evening, my girlfriend woke me up very late at night, terrified. She said they were back, and she did not want to do with them. Immediately, I became aware of a very low-frequency humming that was coming from somewhere outside. Here is where it gets strange since it was a waking memory, and I remember it as a waking memory. My actions at that point on seemed bizarre and irrational to me. I went out onto the porch to see if there was anything. There was a very bright light shining through the trees that separated the space around the cabin from a large, overgrown field. It was at this point, I think, the aliens, again, used their minds, or my own brain was just going into shock over seeing such a bright light shining from this isolated field. We were miles and miles from anything. The cabin we were in had no electricity and no water, and the closest neighbor was several miles down a dirt road. It was like my rational mind kicked in to convince me that what I was seeing was not real. I thought it could be some kids on a TV, or we were hearing the sound of a faraway generator, or that someone was simply playing a joke on us. From that point on, I can't remember much. I don't remember going back to the cabin. The next day I woke up early in the morning and went out to the field to see if there was anything. Out where the right light seemed to be emitted from, there were eight concentric circles pressed into the grass and mud. These were not like crop circles, but appeared as if something had pressed into the ground. The outer circle was approximately forty feet in diameter. This incident occurred on Wednesday 20, April 2016, at approximately 8.30 p.m. in Zage, Cyprus. My two friends and I had just finished our meal and were out in the garden, talking and drinking, not alcohol. One of my friends had gone into the kitchen to refill their glass whilst I and my other friend remained outside. After a moment of silence, my friend pointed out an unusually bright star moving across the sky Assuming it may have been a comet or something. After a brief moment, I looked up at it again to realize that it was stationary. Around 75, 100 feet above the tree line. I sat there staring at this thing just in complete shock. Every 15 seconds or so, it would lower its altitude until it was only a couple of feet from the treetops. The weirdest part about this is that absolutely no noise had been emitted thus far. I tried to get out of my chair to hurry inside, but I felt an overwhelming feeling of paralysis, as did my friend. I turned to her and asked her what was going on, but she looked frozen in fear. After what felt like hours, something appeared from around the trees underneath the triangular craft. It was a humanoid figure, with a head similar to that of an ant and skin like a crocodile. It had extremely small eyes in proportion to its head and long, thin appendages. It walked right up to the fence before sharply turning and sprinting into the darkness of the trees. After a brief moment of complete fear, dread, and anxiousness, the craft moved in a linear path towards the west before becoming no longer visible. During this time, my friend who had gone to refill her glass watched the entire event through the window, She recalls, although neither me or my other friend do, that the creature had some sort of device in its hand, and that it held it up briefly before its disappearance. I do not know why it came to us or to where we were, but I can tell you it is the first time I have ever witnessed this or heard of this happening in Cyprus. i lived in boaz alabama at the time of this incident it was july 5 2014 at 10:25 p.m i checked my watch my friend and i were sitting on her deck drinking coffee she said look i looked up in time to see a rectangular shaped object with light circling around it changing colors we kept saying what is that it briefly went totally dark and then reappeared moving toward her property Her house is situated at an elevation of 1053 feet above sea level. According to my phone, there is a very steep drop off at the edge of her lawn, which is heavily wooded all the way down the mountain. These objects were high above the trees, which are very tall. As the large object moved closer and closer to us, a small semicircular-shaped object was seen below the larger object. I grabbed my cell phone and began taking photos of what we were seeing. It came close enough to her lawn to reflect light onto the grass. Then the semicircular shaped object straightened itself out and flew at a speed I've never seen anything move with out of our sight behind trees. The large object began getting very bright with almost fiery looking lights shooting out of the ring where the multicolored lights were first observed. We watched it for what seemed like a short period of time, but we later realized we had been out there watching for about an hour and a half. I have no direct memory of the object leaving or blinking out, but it was just gone. I began to take photos all around in hopes of finding where it went. That's when I got the very poor photo of what seemed to be two little creatures. Also, strangely enough, another glowing light appeared deep down in the woods. It would brighten when we talked to it then dim and brighten again, on request. My camera never recorded a photo of this object, although I snapped them repeatedly. My friend said once, during watching the object, she was going to get a flashlight and go out there and look more closely. I strongly encouraged her not to do that. I felt that we were fine on the deck where we were, but didn't need to be out there any closer. We were unnaturally calm afterward, and even talked about how we just sauntered back inside the house and went to bed. To calm, if you ask me. It was a very odd experience. I am describing my first experience that I can remember here. I believe I was 15 years old. I had gone to bed that Saturday night, probably between the hours of 10 and 11 p.m., I lived in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada. My bedroom was on the top floor of our house in a turret. There was a single bed on either side of the room, which was in the shape of an octagon. I woke with a start and looked over at the other bed and saw my cat sleeping there. He always did. I then looked at the clock radio, which had been acting strangely over the past few weeks. It had been turning itself on and off all by itself usually around the same time at night. Perhaps I had gotten so used to it, that's why I had woken, but the time on it said it was twelve fifteen a.m. I tried to roll over and go back to sleep. Suddenly I found myself paralyzed on my back, unable to move. There was a tall being beside me to the left. The right side of my bed was up against the wall. This being was also a shadow, but its eyes glowed white. It began to communicate with me via ESP. I was somehow able to communicate back with it the same way. I do not remember everything. I do remember it asking me if I wanted to join it on its ship. Then suddenly the craft appeared by the window in green, greenish blue, and violet lights were flashing from a silver disc like UFO that was being operated by others that were in the room with me. It hovered there for several minutes. During this period of time, the shadowy being took what was to me, its index finger, and touched me on my solar plexus. I then woke in a start. My cat was not on the other bed, and the clock radio said it was only midnight. I thought I had experienced a bad dream. The following morning, I went to get into the shower, and on my solar plexus was a marking. It remained there for a number of years and was very sensitive. It comes and goes now. When that spot on me is touched, I feel as if endorphins are being released. I have had other experiences since this one, such as sightings of strange things in the sky and being paralyzed in bed, seeing strange lights flash in shadows. However, none were quite like this. I also had some inorganic materials exit my body only several months ago, which I'm not comfortable showing to a doctor. Man, I'm so shy to share because it really seems far-fetched. It was towards Christmas time, important later, and my spouse and I were hanging out at home. I looked up still in the house and saw him standing there. He looked just like the stereotypical garden gnome, red cap, beard and all. My memory is that his eyes got a little wide when he saw me looking and he gave me what seemed like a jaunty little wave and a smile. Anyway, I turned to get my spouse's attention to see if he could see it, too, and when I looked back, he disappeared. I searched the whole house, trying to prove to myself that I didn't imagine it. My spouse, being Norwegian, believes it was a tomtenessie, which is why I mention it being Christmas time. I've questioned myself thousands of times since, but I wasn't asleep, impaired in any way, or have a tendency to hallucinate. One reason we might have attracted one, if it was real, is that we've always left a plate out for any creatures on New Year's Eve. Typically a sweet, a little pickled herring and a drink of some sort, just to be friendly. I usually leave out a needle and thread as well, so they could repair their clothes. In the morning I take the remains outside for scavengers. I kind of saw it as a harmless little tradition that my husband's family does, but I'm a little more deliberate about not forgetting to leave it out these days. So, that's my story. I'm not convinced that it's logical in any way, but I do like the idea of there being a little magic left in this world. True story. This happened about 20 years ago, and it still gives me... The willies I had invited a few friends over one night after work for a couple of beers, and we were just hanging out vibing and jiving some philosophy around the coffee table in the living room. I was somewhat absent-mindedly spinning a quarter twenty-five cent piece as the conversation progressed. I proposed an interesting question to my friends. How many sides does a coin have? A coin has two sides, of course was the first response. Actually, that is incorrect, I retorted. Then I stopped the coin from spinning and flicked it one more time to let it spin again, as I explained. A coin has three sides, the front back and the thinnest side being the edge, or a thickness of the coin. As I explained this, we all watched the coin slow down, and gradually it stopped spinning, only for it to stop perfectly balanced on its edge. The third side. We were all totally dumbstruck. It seemed too impossible to all be a coincidence. I've tried to make this happen again ever since, and I've never been successful. What do you guys think? We stayed at Lake George Battlefield Campground. Our last night camping was Sunday, July 16, this year 2023. Right after midnight, my friends went to use the bathroom and left me alone by the fire when I heard a woman's voice singing in the woods. It was spooky, but also dreamlike. I described it as singing because it sounded so practiced, but it was arpeggiated notes, no words. Would also describe it as sad and possibly ritualistic. Startled, I tried to record it because it was definitely audible. Figured if my ears can pick it up, so can a mick. No chance. I responded with vocals of my own and then asking who was there. No response. My friends returned about ten minutes later, and the singing stopped as I heard their footsteps approaching from the road. They told me it was bullfrogs. The pitch changes and length of the notes was no way a bullfrog forest animal. For reference, the campsite we stayed was 200 feet south of the Isaac Jogues Monument. There's a nature trail about 400 feet west, down the hill from our site. In front of the nature trail is the Tiki Hotel. We can see those lights through the foliage. I'm really thinking it was of someone practicing some Native American ritual. We've stayed at the same campsite every year for the past five, but this is our first time staying into Monday morning. Would anybody know what goes on out there on Sundays? So my twin sister and I were around. I'd say five, seven years old, which were the years 2006, 2008. I can't remember our exact age when this happened. And we had found a blank V's tape in a bucket of VAS tapes we had. I don't know if this was a show or movie or video. That scared us so bad. We were watching whatever normal kid show that was on the tape, and it went to static. Then this boy puppet, rocking in a rocking chair in this moonlit, darkish room, wearing a nightcap and pajamas. I remember a moon being involved somehow, too, I think. It's been a while, but we both remember the exact same things. We were too scared to tell anyone at the time, but we are both adults now and remembered it last night. We have to know if anyone knows what this is, please. I have Googled so many details, I remember about this and can't find it anywhere. And before anyone says poltergeist, it was not that. I don't know if it was something paranormal, but after looking through the internet and not finding it, I am scared it could be. I wanted to tell you about something I had seen back in early 2002. It was shortly after the 9-11 attacks. I got off work one night. I went home, took a shower, and I was about to go over to a friend of mine's house to hang out for a while. I was driving. I was in Moberly, Missouri at the time. I was driving past the cemetery, and I look over at the cemetery, and I see these three bright white lights coming in. They seemed to be coming in quickly. I thought to myself, since it was shortly after the attacks, that I was about to witness a plane crash because the bright white lights were coming in quickly and low to the ground. But as they came in closer to me, they slowed down and stopped. I was going down a street called Rolling Street. It's like a four-lane street, and there was nobody around, and it came in closer. As it came in closer, it stopped right above that street. It was probably above the ground, as high as one of those telephone poles. I'd say the whole craft was probably at least a block in size. It was a solid pyramid. I won't say it was a black triangle, because it wasn't a triangle. It was pyramid, like it had the depth to it from the bottom of the craft up. It stopped right there, and I think it was just like watching me or something, because it noticed I was the only thing moving around below it, and it stopped above me. It was floating there, not making a sound in the sky. It was a solid, like I said, black pyramid, and each bottom tip was glowing a pure, bright white light. Underneath it was like an inverted tornado of what looked like liquid light being sucked up into the bottom of the craft, and it just sat there, and I was saying to myself, oh my God, I am not seeing this. This is not real, and shortly after that thought, I was like, I need to get a witness, you know. So I got out of my car, and I went to the nearest house and banged on the door. The person answered the door and came outside. It zipped off. Basically, at that point, I told them, you know, I was like, when I looked off into the sky, it was gone. I was like, I just made up a name, and I was like, I'm looking for, you know, so-and-so or something. Like, maybe I got the wrong house. By the time they came outside, it was gone, and if I were to explain to them what I just saw, it would be they wouldn't believe me. Went backpacking with three of my buddies in 97 during summer break. We usually stick to the local state parks, land trusts, but this time we wanted to do a three-day trick, so we went to a larger, more rural state park. Now this was before Blair Witch, but the trail we chose looked a lot like the forest it was filmed in. The trail hadn't been blazed in a while and we actually managed to lose it a few time while looking for a suitable place to camp. The site we chose backed up to a small rock wall and sheltered us pretty nicely. It was August in Alabama, but the temperature in our little valley dropped surprisingly low, so we decided to set our tents a little closer to the fire than we normally would. We all hit the sack after some dinner in the mandatory fart competition. About two hours later, I hear what I thought was one of my friends chomping on one of those loud-ass granola bars, so I yell out, shut the F up, Jeff. The sound stops, but I can now hear that Jeff was snoring. So who? What the F was making that noise? I didn't hear it again after waiting a few minutes and figured it was a deer or a large rodent having a midnight snack near my tent, and I went back to sleep. About an hour later, I practically jumped out of my skin when the cries of a banshee or a woman being murdered filled the forest. At this point in my life, I wouldn't have said I was an expert outdoorsman, but I had definitely spent a fair amount of my life outside during the day and night, and I had never heard anything as terrifying as that. One of my friends flew out of his tent, panting and yelling at us to wake up and get our boots on. He thought it was a woman or child being tortured, and we needed to help. Jeff was still snoring loudly, so he didn't hear or care. I calmed myself down, put my boots on, and got my flashlight out. We stayed close to camp shining the light up and down the trail, all along the rock face and towards the stream. Nothing. Then I shined my light up in the tree, because I don't know why, and there's a rather large shape about 50s up. I I couldn't see his full outline, but I could. I could see the shine of its unblinking eyes. We don't have mountain lions here, but bobcats are pretty common, and it isn't entirely unheard of to have bear sightings in rural forested areas. I whispered over to my friend to shine his light up, too, so we can get a better look. As he did, the thing bellowed out its banshee shriek again and basically petrified both of us. This time, he successfully managed to wake Jeff up, who stumbled out of his tent in his boxers and started to scream like a little girl covered in icky spiders. His scream scared off whatever this thing was from its roost, and that's when we learned how apt the screech owl's name is. If you bird. When I was young, Uh, I spent a fortnight or so with my grandfather and father on my grandparent's sloop, sailing from Lake St. Clair up around the Keweenaw and eventually stopping in Milwaukee. We frequently spent the night on open waters, since the Great Lakes are relatively peaceful, and we are a sailing family with a passion for sleeping on the waves. We had been on Lake Superior without making port for a few days, enjoying the cool winds in each other's company. I woke up in the dark of the night to a large, bright northern moon and glassy waters. I went for a pee above deck. If you're male, you'll understand a certain desire to pee off the side of a boat, and was just ready to start the tinkle when a shadow crossed my peripheral vision. A small boat, maybe fourteen-sixteen, open cabin, jib and mainsheet, both laying loose on their lines. If you're into small sailboats, I'd make it a pintail or a buccaneer. Everything looked shipshape, no tears in the sheets or hull damage that I could see, but it was empty as far as I could tell, just adrift in the middle of Lake Superior. By the time I had roused my father, it was out of sight. He thought I had dreamt it up. There's a lot of ghost stories and sailors' tales in that area, and we had shared a good amount over the past week, but I know what I saw. I'm not sure how to start this, as I've never had to write this down. I've only ever spoken to my partner about it. I'll apologize in advance for the length of this as it spans a few years. Most of my life I've seen things, whether it's shadows out the corner of my eye, or just as I'm drifting to sleep, or felt the presence of something I can't see. I've been grabbed, shoved, and heard whispers. None of that compares to my frequent visitor for several years. Back in 2017, I was 23 years old. I had just broken up with a long-term girlfriend and was in a bit of a bad place mentally. I spent a lot of time alone and in my own head. This is when the problem started. I was at my workplace at the time using the urinal. I felt like someone was watching me like a burning stare. I quickly glanced over my shoulder, and in the gap between the cubicle, I could swear for a brief moment I saw something. It appeared to be some sort of disheveled woman. Just as quickly as I saw it, it disappeared. I chalked this up to sleep deprivation. Didn't really think anything of it, so I just cleaned myself up and got back to work. I wish this was the end of it. Throughout the next few weeks, when I was by myself, I never really felt like I was by myself. That's when I caught her. I was set at my computer one evening and out the corner of my eye. I saw that same woman peering at me round the corner of the door. As much as I try to remember, I've never been able to recall her face. I remember dirty gray hair and somewhat pale skin. But that's it. I froze up. I don't know how long I sat there staring back at her, and I don't remember her leaving. This persisted for years. I saw her at home. I saw her at work. I even swore I saw her in public. She was never in full view. She was always peering round a corner like she just wanted to observe what I was doing, but peering enough that she wanted me to know that she was there. This changed one fateful night in 2019, the night my mother fell unwell and had to be rushed to hospital. I woke up feeling that something was wrong. I couldn't put my finger on what was up. Suddenly I hear from the hall my mother's door burst open. And she's calling to me. She's passed out on her floor, semi-conscious and breathing heavily. After helping her up, I called an ambulance for her and sat with her. She asked me not to leave her as she felt in danger. I didn't leave her side until the paramedics arrived. Eventually they came, agreed that my mother needed to go to hospital and I said I'll follow in my car. I ran back upstairs to get changed as I had just thrown on some comfy clothes, and that's when I saw her. I rounded the corner of my bedroom, and in full view on the other side of the room was this thing. It was stood in full view. I still cannot recall its face, just the gray hair and pale skin. I've never felt such dread. I kept my eyes locked on it as I grabbed clothes from my floor. I Was wearing the previous day and just backed out of the room while keeping my gaze locked on it I was half expecting something like out of a horror movie for it to just start sprinting at me with its arms outstretched But nothing it just stayed where it was Even when I was walking downstairs from where my room was in full view It was still stood there when I came back home. It was gone. I slept downstairs for weeks From that point, I still saw it peering around the corner a lot, but never in full view like before. I eventually moved out in 2021. Since then, I've had no more experiences with either that thing peering around the corner or anything else. I have nightmares about it occasionally, but nothing else.